Everybody, welcome to another edition of the Anything But Typical Podcast. And yes, we have Brian Anders. And we're so happy to have you on. So Brian, the way that we always start this podcast is with a heartbeat question. We will get into all your wonderful career chronology. But we want to start with a heartbeat question, which is, you are out in public. We'll say that you are unloading your bike on the parkway and you're getting your gear on and somebody sees you and they go, hey, that's Brian Anders. And they start talking about you, not realizing you can hear, they can hear, or that you can hear everything that they're saying, right? So what would you want somebody to say about you? Hmm, so what I would want to hear them say is, uh, hey, that, that's that Brian Anders guy. And before he puts his bike helmet on, I just want to comment, he has the best hair I've oh! ever seen. <laughs> you do. That's it. That's all I want to be known for, is like good hair. No, I would love to hear someone say, you know what, that's Brian, uh, kind of recognize him. And I don't know what it is about him, but I've heard that when he gets involved in something, like just good stuff happens. Like people benefit mm. from it. There's good energy. People want to be part of it. Mm -hmm. And I would want them to uh, feel that way about it. But better yet, what I'd love to have happen is them not just comment, but say, let's go over and meet him. Yeah. Let's approach him because he, he seems approachable and we want to see what he's about. And they come over and we meet some new people. That's what I'd like to see happen. I like that. Well, there's so much more than just what is on the, the LinkedIn resume, right? But for those that don't know you, I'll, I'll at least give the formal part first. So you're the founder and CEO of Delta V Forensic Engineering. And that's been around for over 19 years at this point. And then also founder and CEO of Redline Forensic Studios. So we're going to dive into both of those. But before that, one thing that I've heard you say is you're a recovering engineer. <laughs> so I want to start back there a little bit of what in the first place even drew you to engineering? So I was not good at uh, reading and writing and I was good at math. Okay. And so I tend to go with my strengths and that, that was my strength at the time. And I uh, went into physics as a study to begin and I realized that you can't do much other than just study or teach physics yeah, for the yeah. most part. And engineering was the application of math and physics. So that was where I, uh, I, I started looking, is where can, I, where can I do that? Or how can I learn and where can I do it? And that's how I got into it. And when you were younger throughout your career, did you have any exposure to entrepreneurship or business leadership or anything like that? Yeah, so uh, Jan, my wife and I are both from uh, mom and pop families. Both of our parents own businesses. My dad was a pure creative. He owned a music store, played in the band until he was in his 40s. I'm not kidding. Yeah, he played lead guitar, kind of a singer. Not, not exactly. He's a backup singer. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so that was our life. You know, he was the sales guy out front, had the band, and mom did the books. Like the stereotypical wow. middle to middle lower mm -hmm. America in terms of owning a business. Yep. And then Jan's parents had uh, uh, built houses and had some rental property and that's how she grew up. So as far as the earlier part of my professional life, that's, that was our household. Yeah. It was just, that's just what we knew. That was normal, was yeah. owning businesses. Yeah. So since you were, you grew up around that, right, you both did, was 
owning your own business, running your own thing, was that something always in the back of your mind? It wasn't. And it's funny, when I was in business school, I got the question, man, how do you start? How do you start? Right. And to me, that was never felt like the question because it was just ever present mm -hmm. to us. It was mm -hmm. like, I thought that's what everybody did. Yeah. So it wasn't a yeah. big barrier. And as a matter of fact, my dad's music store, my mom and dad's music store, uh, went bankrupt. I mean, we had to do a fire wow. sale. Wow. They had uh, some folks steal from them, mm -hmm. and it got into a big lawsuit. He had six heart attacks and a stroke, and wow. left my mom to sell it, and then she became a church secretary, mm -hmm. and had to take care of my dad. So, as far as my experience, uh, of living the entrepreneurial dream, right? It was a homewrecker. Right. It's like, why would I sign up for that? Yep. Like, who would? That's not a good thing. Yeah. So when I got into my working life, uh, I was looking for stability. I was like, yeah. I want to get in, get, get a big corporate job. Mm -hmm. And learned real quick that big corporate was not for me. <laughs> what about it was not for you? What do you mean by that? So I interned at Philip Morris, which. Um, is the cigarette maker up in, yeah. was up in Cabarrus. And I was in engineering school at the time, but even prior to that, I uh, loaded trucks. So my, my family's working class. Yeah. You get a job, you, you graduate high school, which I barely did that. You get married, you get a job, you mm -hmm. raise a family. That was yeah. like the 70s, that's what you did, right? And 80s. And so uh, that's what I did. I graduated high school. Nobody went to college. It just was an abnormal. Mm -hmm. That was for mm -hmm. the folks on the other side of the track. And so I uh, got a job loading trucks. That was my thing. And part of that experience is I loaded trucks up at Philip Morris. I was, they called us a lumper. They take you up there and they drop you off. Mm -hmm. So fast forward, and I'm now in engineering school, and I go to Philip Morris to interview for the job because I'm craving stability. I want yeah, a big corporate right. job. And it was huge at the time. Yeah. Um, and I was so nervous in the interview, I was shaking. It was like six people. <laughs> and it was so bad. I mean, my mouth was quivering. I couldn't talk. And the guy uh, that looks like out of the Dilbert cartoon was at the end of the <laughs> conference table. And he's like, he's like, son? He's like, old guy. At the time, he seemed like 100. He's like, son? Like, you just need to you just need to calm down <laughs> that's how bad it was yeah. and i and i was have like cigarette <laughs> yeah well they we got a carton a week every friday a carton showed up and if you were going to move up in the ranks you had to be a smoker oh yeah yeah so everybody had smoker faces so um yeah so at that point i was like okay well i'm not hired because obviously this yeah. is not going well and so i relaxed and i said look y'all don't understand I said, a couple years ago, I was loading your trucks. Mm. And my dream job was to get the $18 an hour to load trucks in the air conditioning, yeah. not on the open dock at Colonial Motor Freight. And the fact I'm even sitting in here mm -hmm. for this interview is, is a win. So I got the job. I love it. <laughs> and it was probably because I you were honest. essentially cried in the uh, thing. <laughs> And I didn't realize what a free spirit I was about things until they, I actually started the job. And I would report into work at seven in the morning and I worked in a cube farm that was windowless. Oh, yeah. It's like a weird social experiment 
putting people in there with no windows and Dilbert as the boss. Yeah. And uh, I did that for a year and I, and I would come out at five, not see the sun all day. A lot of politics. They had a union. The mm -hmm. engineers had to wear a shirt and tie, which already created this weird mm -hmm. tension. Union had to wear union clothes, which I was more comfortable with because that's what yeah. I grew up with. And I was like, I, I can't punch a, a clock. I can't go windowless and I can't work in a cube farm that just feels like I had no influence yeah. on my path forward. So I was like, if that's corporate America, yep. I would rather make way less, and I was making good money there. Cigarettes is good money, tobacco is good money. It's nearly drug money. Uh, I'd rather work outside, get paid yeah. way less, yep. and not uh, feel like I was in some strange glass bowl. <laughs> it's bizarre. So yeah, that was my last day at, at corporate. Well, Dilbert was based on reality, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> More than I would admit. Yeah. So take us through, all right, this isn't for me. What was next? So I was still in engineering school at the time, and I, I had worked in trucking. Uh, was paying my way through engineering school and then met Jan and she uh, is and was a private investigator and so I used to help her out with uh, doing investigation work just basically keep her company and I thought the coolest thing about her job was she had a client base and oh, that she sure. got to have this relationship professional relationship with clients and provide a service yep. in clients that are in a really distressed situation. There's families mm. that are breaking up. There's yeah. people stealing uh, and yeah. embezzling she's looking yeah. into. There's capital murder cases that she worked. And I was like, that is cool. And I learned about forensic engineering through that window. Mm -hmm. She would tell me about uh, folks doing that kind of work. Mm -hmm. And we went to a uh, North Carolina PI conference in Greensboro, I'll never forget it, I met a guy named Ed Lifesay who was a private investigator and he did accident reconstruction, reconstructed uh, car and truck trucks. And I was like, physics. that's it, <laughs> application of physics, not in a cubicle, outside doing stuff and having clients. And I was like, that's what I'm gonna do. Wow, that is so cool. So what year was that? Oh my gosh! Not to, not to date yourself or anything. Gary, I'm 54. I'm dated. You're 61. I learned. I don't know how old you are, but you 30, don't have to fess I'm, up. I'm, yeah, I'm right. I don't think you're running with yeah. us on the age. Uh, that would have been early 90s. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you have this aha moment. Wow, I can apply this. I know something about that. I'm interested in that. Like then. How did it start forming? So I had to pay my way through school, which meant I would go to school and I would load trucks in the evening. That was continued yeah. as part of my experience. And then I actually interned at UPS, so trucking just kept being mm -hmm. a common thread, oddly enough. So I had this weird blue-collar roots and white-collar academic experience. Right. And so I uh, figured if I was gonna become an expert, I needed to get a master's degree mm -hmm. and eventually maybe a PhD because that's what experts 
do. They're smart. Right. Yeah. And so I got a full scholarship to graduate school. I had a uh, monthly stipend, twelve hundred bucks a month, which was big money for me. Oh yeah. Then. Yeah. And uh, I was going through the newspaper ads. This is the printed ads where you look for jobs. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at you. I know. They used to have printed newspapers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's this yeah, thing. thing. Yeah. And I said, you know, I need to start practicing interviewing. So I'm going to go interview at places to just learn about the market and get some practice. And so I found a local company that actually was doing forensic engineering. And uh, to this day, I believe because there wasn't any pressure that I went in and just had a conversation like this. Yep. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, and. I didn't meet any of the qualifications. Five years experience, PE license, all this stuff. I'm like, dude, yeah. I'm still a student right. in my mid-twenties. But I was so curious. We were talking about right before the podcast about y'all being yep. curious. And I just kept asking questions. And uh, I got the job. And I got the job. Oh, cool. And then he offered me full time. Uh, and I had to actually relinquish all of my academic money because I couldn't do full-time and do the research. Oh, right. So, uh, so I forfeited that, and then six months in, I got fired. So really? Was, <laughs> so I lost all my academic money, and then I'm unemployed. Mm -hmm. So that was not working out too well. But and I wasn't in a cube farm, so I was already a net gain. But then it's the second time you're, you're seeing, okay, big corporate's not for me, and then you're still looking for stability, you go work for somebody else, and then six months later, the rug's pulled out from under you. So at what point did your mindset start to shift towards maybe I should be running my own thing, maybe I should be starting mm -hmm. a company? This would be the seed of it. So I'm scrambling at this point. Jan and I are still together because we've been together forever uh, and still are. And uh, I go down to the local competitor who's doing uh, forensic engineering and I said, hey, look, uh, I, I love this work. I love the idea of it not in a good place right now, but um, if I can demonstrate any value to you, uh, help out around the lab or do whatever, uh, and you feel like that's something worth paying me as a 1099 subcontractor, I'll submit you an invoice. Mm -hmm. So what I would do is I would bring my books uh, down there and I would set up in their lobby and I'd cleared off a little corner and I would study and I would see the engineers come and go. They were doing field work, they were doing stuff, and they'd be like, hey, 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 where are you going? <laughs> oh, I'm gonna go look at a burned house. I'm like, well, can I go? Yeah, but I can't pay you for it. And I was like, well, if I go with you and then you get on scene and I can hold the dumb end of the tape or I can take your notes and you see that I've done something that helps values your client, will you consider paying me? It's like, all right, so every thing I did was contingent yep. and so I hop in the truck we drive two hours to or hour and a half to Spindale look at something and so I'm hustling I am literally looking for every opportunity to make this person's life easier mm -hmm. yeah so that when we got back he's like all right for the hour we were at the scene I'll pay you but I don't pay you riding the truck you're not doing anything right. so um, that's what I did for six months. I showed up every day and just kept my eyes and ears open. I would ask if I could go through files to see if something's running late and then help get it back on time. And if they found that valuable, they would decide whether to pay me. 
So that spirit yeah. yep. of hustle, uh, and I know hustle gets a rap, bad rap these days sometimes, hustle culture and that kind of thing, but right. that was, I just hustle. To yeah. me, that's a good thing. So I'm hustling, trying to figure out how to create value. By the end of that six months, I had brought my own desk to the office. <laughs> they had moved me into the, uh, they had moved me, I had moved myself into the supply closet where the paper towels were and the toilet paper. Mm -hmm. And I had gone to Radio Shack and bought a splitter that uh, for the line line phones, okay. and I plugged it into the wall uh, to the to the plug next to the supply closet, and I dropped a cord over the hanging ceiling, and I got me a phone, and I was calling clients. <laughs> so literally, I was talking to clients, doing their work, and I didn't work there. And uh, we ended up calling it the clothface. So Brian had a clothface, <laughs> and I, they eventually uh, offered me a job because I wasn't going away. So that was my stability yep. for the yeah. next eight years. Mm -hmm. I was on staff engineer, <coughs> I got paid commissions, straight commissions, so mm -hmm. already some hustle there, mm -hmm. but it was more stability than I was used to. Yeah. But that seed of, all right, how do you show up, hustle, create demand, get a reputation, and not assume you're gonna get paid, you're not entitled to get paid, mm -hmm. Uh, was planted at that point yep. and then lived out in how I built my clients while I was there as a staff engineer. Well, it may be hustle culture, but I, I call that initiative. <laughs> <laughs> we used to say, do they come with batteries installed? You came with batteries installed. Yep. And that is a lacking thing kind of in a lot of places. but. When I find somebody that's got batteries installed, you have them. <laughs> yeah, yeah I like, relate very much to what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, <laughs> we've all had to do yeah. that. And, you know, there, there you've got something you can work with. So it's too bad that they kind of took advantage of you, but you proved yourself. And if nothing else, it's kind of like the Herschel Walker, he kind of did the same thing physically, you know, trying to beat the trains from a fat kid to... It's specimen. Yeah, yeah like yeah, amazing. Yeah. This story is amazing. But well, I when I that. got fired, I I <clears throat> was felt depressed. I'm not going to say I was. That's yeah. a very serious mm -hmm. thing. But I felt that was my first big boy job, right? My first career job. Yep. I felt yeah. like I didn't have what it took to make it, and I felt completely unemployable. It's like no one will ever employ me. Like that's just a black mark forever. Yeah. So when I showed up there, it was like all I have to show is bringing value. Yeah. Because I didn't feel like I had any credibility to bring. Yeah. So. So that lesson mm -hmm. is one that carries really strongly into entrepreneurship in general, right? You're starting a business, and it's how do I add more value than what I'm taking, and and what are some other lessons like that that you had early in your career that you were able to carry into running your own business? Yeah. So my time at Engineering Design and Testing was the firm that hired me was, uh, they said, you, the, the guy ahead of me uh, got fired and I was left with uh, the remnants of that. Mm. So I went to the file cabinets and just grab stacks of files at a time and just started cold calling clients, mm -hmm. apologizing. So 
Wow. Got my ass chewed out on behalf of the guy that got fired. So I was starting at a negative. Yeah. This is like my first year in. So I'm already, so now I'm starting at negative 10. Yeah, so I'm right. having to overcome this reputation. So I'm calling clients, wow, you were supposed to be out there a month ago. Like, I didn't even know it was, it was an active file, right? I'm just calling. And so a lot of promises, a lot of hustle. I'll make good on it, make good on it. And so I ended up developing a really loyal uh, following. And to this day, I remember my first uh, client to ever call and ask for me, a guy named Marty Harbin, who's in Virginia now. He worked at State Farm. And people would get stuck with me. They'd, they'd call in, they'd say, well, you get to work with Brian. And it's all the low exposure stuff, right? <laughs> right. So Marty Harbin called me back and asked for me. Man, I was like, yeah. I'm the man. He had You've the worst cases ever. They were at the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. But he asked for me, and that's what mattered. And so yeah. uh, that hustle, developing those relationships, uh, and remembering those names, even... 30 years later, that name just sticks with me, is, uh, is what built a really robust client following. And then I had a client uh, tell me, and I was happy, making good money, I love the people there. And I had a client pull me to the side and he says, you don't recognize what's happening here. Mm. Like you're not your typical staff engineer. Mm. And so he had to Mm. helped me see what was different about it. And he showed me some tough love. He's so funny. He's like, look, you need to go up on your billing rate. He's the client's telling me this. Yep. He's like, you're worth more. It's like, okay, I can do that. That's a great guy. Oh yeah. <laughs> and he said, and if you don't, and if you don't start uh, your own firm to see what you're about, he said, I'm going to quit using you. He said, I, I just can't even be part of this. Like I'm done. Wow. So I started reflecting on, all right, well, what is it, what is it that I'm doing that's different? Yeah. Yeah. So. What'd you come up with? Well, what was, at least yourself, because I think it's different from somebody from the outside being able to answer what you're doing different, but what did that self-reflection open up for you? So what was different was I was willing, uh, I was willing to try stuff and suck at it really bad uh, and go mm. through the valley yeah. in hopes that I would come out higher on the other side. Yeah. So by example, uh, we got paid on commissions and I just spent the seven years building uh, a loyal, uh, uh, loyal clients and a yeah. backlog of work and we got paid on commissions after the money came in. So it was really aggressive commission yeah. program. And the stuff I was doing was kind of middle tier complexity mm -hmm. uh, at that time. I love, love the clients, but in terms of the robustness of the assignments, they were just pretty middle tier. And uh, we had to share uh, admin staff and they got calculated as part of our commission. So what I did was I talked to my manager and I said, look, I want Kathy at the time was working with two engineers, I said, I want to pay for all of Kathy's salary. And I know it's gonna come out of my commission. And mm. so I'm taking a hit. So that already is, like, doesn't right. make sense, right? And I said, then I want to shed two thirds of my clients onto the new guy coming in, the associate. 
guy named Eric. I said, he can have those because that was where he was in his career. Right. And I said, then I want to go up on my billing rate and I want to go out and get premium clients. Well, so for the next several pay periods, I'm taking a hit. Right. Yep. Right? I'm, and I'm having to tell Jan, uh, <laughs> paycheck's going down. Right. And hope, you know, and I hope it works out type thing. So what happened was Kathy ca caught on fire because she knew I took this bet on her. Yeah. And she was one of two people in the whole company that was dedicated to one engineer. And then what I pitched to clients was we have a dedicated team that provides concierge premium service. That's why my rate's higher than everybody's. And so I had people buy into the rate uh -huh. and the service offering, mm -hmm. but it took, and I had to now go drum up that work. And so it took months of, of a financial hit to my household for that to happen. Uh, and, but on the other side of it, there was the net gain. So the big lesson, that's the thing I see is people not having the courage to just be really bad at something yeah. starting out yeah. or stick it out long enough to get through the valley. Because yep. sometimes the peak's not higher on the other side. You just, you're placing right. bets. And so that was definitely, uh, and that's what the client, it's like, that ain't normal. Like people don't do that. Yeah, and especially engineers. I mean, right. they don't, a lot of engineers are not risk takers. Yeah, that lives outside the spreadsheet. <laughs> yes, it does. I, there are a couple things that are just really fascinating that apply across any industry and across any tier in an organization. And one is when the guy gets fired and you're going through and you're having to make the phone calls and get your butt ringed. Nobody likes doing that, but communication is like the number one issue in every, and what I've seen, especially when things get bad, when you communicate, even though things are bad, people appreciate it. Very few people are willing to do it, though. They want to run for the hills, but you are like, no, I'm going to be a big boy and just do the right thing, which that that's differentiation. And the other thing that I think that that your client drug you into was differentiation, which that is the number one thing that separate, I mean, by definition, differentiation right. separates you from everybody else. Mm -hmm. It's memorable. It's, you know, like, you, what's interesting is you've got a tenacity and a hustle. You know, the other thing is commission. Like, everybody wants the padding and the safety net of steady salary. But when you're 100% commission or when you're dri driven by commission, you don't bring home food, you don't eat. <laughs> yeah. You don't kill, you don't eat. You know, So yeah. I just think that applies in any facet of life. Mm -hmm. And entrepreneurship is like, it's, it's the bloodline. Yeah. You gotta have that. Yeah, and it wasn't base plus commission. Right. It was 100% commission on receipts, which means I had you to chase the money. Exactly. <laughs> but we, we've crazy. all done that. Yeah. Yep, that's right. I'm still there as a partner. In a, <laughs> I am the only one that's 100% commission mm -hmm. as a partner in a CPA firm. <laughs> so when my client uh, egged me on, I the first place I looked was within the company and said, all right, maybe there's a path 
to where I can explore this instinct or an act yeah. or whatever, whatever it is, how much of it's there, maybe there's a place. And they is a big enough firm that it was pretty structured. Yeah. And there were some legacy folks there that were just uh, retired on active duty. Right. So, yeah. like, there's not a path. Um, and I am weirdly uh, loyal. So I show up every day and say, I want to give my employer the best I can. And so when I made a decision to, uh, to move on, yeah. uh, it was, yeah, it was probably two weeks. I made mean, three weeks tops from me just going, and I, I say I, me and Jan made the decision of, uh, all right, this is happening. The couple of weeks after that decision was just cleaning up the files. I want to get all the files mm -hmm. to uh, a status uh, in terms of communicating with the client. And I had decided to resign at our weekly uh, status meeting. And so we go through my files and I said, everything's updated, talk to the client, talk to the client, talk to the client. Not about what was going to happen. Right, but right. This is clean. Yeah. Because if you make, my thought is you take care of your employer. I mean, you take care of a lot of people, but taking care of the clients utmost. I don't want to leave them hanging. Yeah. And so um, go through the status and then at the end of the meeting, pull the dreaded envelope out. Yep. Oh, and I have some more news. And, uh, and told him what I was doing. And then that's how Delta V got started. So how did they respond to that? So this was one of my proudest moments, um, intensely, but it was fair fight. Mm. It was a fair fight. It didn't feel fair. There were some things that really didn't feel fair. Mm. Um, I had a non-compete, so think about the, uh, this is insane to think about. Uh, and so much credit goes to Jan on this because we had a, our two daughters, Peyton and Cameron, were three and five. Mm. Uh, Jan was certainly doing her PI practice. So I have now voluntarily become unemployed from a good paying job. Yeah. And uh, I had a one year, 150 mile radius non compete. Wow. So 150 mile radius is all of North Carolina. Right. So all of South Carolina, it's three quarters, it's past Nashville in Tennessee. Wow. And it's almost all of, it's essentially all of Virginia. So for a full year. And uh, it was written 15 pages, super tight, mm -hmm. uh, non-compete, non-everything, non non-life. Like you can't live. Right. non -breathing. Don't do math at home. <laughs> like it was crazy. So I'm like, damn. I think I want to try this thing. I've got the bug. I've been enlightened. And she's like, well, well you have non-compete. How are you going to pull that off? So this is my business plan that was never written down, by the way. Um, so what we can do is we can get a line of credit on the house and let's buy an airplane. And then... <laughs> That's a great then, idea. This is brilliant, yeah, let's right? Let's do that. This is brilliant. And then uh, I'll fly outside the 150 where I don't have a lot of clients <laughs> and I'll generate clients. Well, carry this banner behind me. Yeah, I'll just do a banner, you know, we'll reconstruct for food. And, uh, and yeah, what do you think? And she's like, okay. Wow. <laughs> and so that's what we did. I uh, resigned. I said, look, I will 
honor the non-compete. I think there's some areas that need some discussion. There were some intense discussions. And um, just even around things like can I have a website, because that's not a geographic thing. Right, right. But that was in there. And I was like, you know, there's some stuff you just can't, a little broad. it just doesn't work, <laughs> right? So we ironed some of that out, a lot of earning. Bought the airplane, $60,000. It's a tin can. Like it yeah. is. Two people sitting in there, uh, your shoulders are touching. It's like a 152 or something like it was that? A, it was a one, uh, not a 140, but a 160. It was a Archer. Oh, gotcha. Archer, yeah. And um, Piper Archer. And man, I lived in that plane. I, got, I was cool the first week. Oh my God. Yeah. Fly my plane. Right. I'm the man. Yeah, about the second month is like, <laughs> I so don't want to climb in this plane. Like, I'm so sick of being cool in the plane. It's just horrible. Uh, but yeah, I went out and drummed up a bunch of work. The one client is like, you should try this on your own. It was out of Texas. I basically lived in Texas. You know, I wow. would go out there and stay for a week. Jan had the kids at home and running her business. It was really tough on the marriage and the family. Yeah. Uh, generated business outside the 150. The non-compete went away and I backfilled with the clients that already knew me. And so now I had this huge footprint of clients. So what was a negative ended up being a positive yeah. in generating a really broad client base, which ended up supporting, we sold the plane, I leveled up on the plane, then I sold the plane, and we used that money to start a Nashville office, and that was our first uh, office. Oh, interesting. Why Nashville? So we do mostly truck, it's service delivery strategy. Uh, so we do a lot of truck accidents. Um, and they'll cost the day of the wreck. So we guarantee uh, boots on the ground of a licensed, often master's degree or higher engineer within 24 hours. It is like high intensity wow. service offering. And so if, uh, if you draw a four hour drive radius around Charlotte, and you draw a four hour drive radius around Nashville, they overlap in Knoxville. Uh -huh. So we can cover about five states, same day service, uh, out of those two offices. Yep. And so fleets would call us and say, all right, you're our guys in these states. And you'd be yeah. able to send from one of the two. Either yep. one, or yep. we have a associate meet up with a professional engineer out of the two okay. to work together. Yep. And we would draw the map and show it. Like, we're doing this on purpose. Right. Yeah, so, there's a method to the map. Yeah, it was there. literally how can we serve you best qualified people who can get there? And here's how we get there. Two circles around these states. Now we have Atlanta, and it's like triple covered. So share with us a little bit of what the, the team looked like early on. I mean, yeah. you're starting this thing. Is it is it you in the plane? What does that look like? So I was the team. Um, right. I named it Delta V because that has uh, industry significance. I got a bunch of grief about not naming it after myself. Because mm. uh, two things, people are like, um, I generated a reputation, and I say that in gratitude. Like, oh, you got to get your name on the door so people can find you. And uh, so think lawyer mentality, right? right? Name on the door. If you ever watch Suits, I'm getting my name yeah. on the wall. Right. So you got to put your name on the door. And then the other thing was um, people would say, you deserve it. Mm. You should have your name on the door. And yeah. take pride in that and blah, blah, all that. And I was like, well, I want to I put a flag in the ground that our industry will recognize 
and then I want to consider myself as employee number one of an organization. Love it. Say, I flipped it. I was yeah. like, this is, this is going to be an organization that I'm a part of. And my goal from day one is for it to outgrow and outlive me. Not Anders and sidekicks, Anders and minions, Anders and briefcase carriers. Right, right. And that's a really easy place to get because I was a testifying expert. I would testify on, uh, as the expert. And so it's a huge ego trip. Sure. So uh, we, I see a lot of people try to scale in our industry is they're the, they're the, they're the top guy. They're the guy on the podcast. And then they would hire helpers. Yeah, right. And they would try to scale their work that way. I did the opposite. I said, I'm one of an organization, and then I want to build a team that, I want to be the least capable one in the organization because I, I, I know I can bring it. And if I can get everybody else better than me, then we're going to be all right. Mm-hmm. It's a common mistake that, that we've seen yes. a lot of, people creating a business where they're the keystone in the business, everything flows through them, and they only hire people, and this has gotta be an ego thing, but hire people that are not as good as they are. And it's massive mistakes that we've just seen over and over. And on the flip side, common theme on this show has been exactly what you just said. I wanna surround myself with people that are better than me at different things. Yeah, and it frankly takes a village to manage a big ego. And that's a key role that Jan plays I was say, over the Jan years. Because <laughs> we both come from very modest uh, upbringing. And uh, she's my biggest cheerleader, roots for me, and keeps me grounded yeah. in a really good way. So, I mean, I would, you know, I would go testify on cases that would make national news or there would be six attorneys flown in all over the place and I just slayed it. And I've been slayed in depositions too. Or I'd go to trial and I was like, I, I just crushed it. Yeah. And I would come home and she would be like, man, that is great. I'm so glad. And remember where you came from? Yeah. <laughs> remember who you're with. Remember your family. Remember yeah. those things. Yeah. That is precious. <laughs> that is precious. Good job, Jan. <laughs> it does take a better half, often, especially when you're going through it. But I think that's so amazing. Again, differentiation. Think about that. The ego wants to push Dewey Cheatham and How on the door. You know, hey, are you Dewey or are you Cheatham? You know, but it's self-limiting. And then you have rising stars, and who wants to be in the shadow of Dewey Cheatham and now? Right. I'm not either one of those guys. I guess I'm going to have to go do my own thing. Well, your intention and your purpose, like, there's something like, there, there's a reason you're on this podcast, because we look for humility. And usually humility comes with some crushing, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I don't like that part of the equation, but it does come with crushing. I'm curious about, all right, so you went from the three-person company of you, yourself, and you, me, myself, and I, right? Irene. Right, yeah. and to 
a huge topic of today's workforce is like, where do you find the talent? I mean, you know, after COVID, it's like, did they all curl up and die? Or did they, you know, move to the islands? And, you know, are they influencers now? I'm, you know, like <laughs> getting paid on TikTok? What's the deal? They're trying to be the next Gary Fry. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> how, how did you find the talent that you were looking for? Because, you, you know, you were out of a different mold. You wanted to deliver this high level of service. You're also getting started, which is kind of risky for, uh, you know, risk averse engineers, right? So talk to us about how did that ball get rolling? So I hired a business consultant and uh, I said, you have to answer one question and that's who should lead this company. Because I was working files, trying to grow the company, and I was bad at everything by my measure. It was just too much. Yeah. And so I had her shadow me for a full year. Wow. Go to my meetings, sit in on reviews, do a full, I've had every personality test known the man. They're yeah. all out there. And yeah. all of them come back, you're just jacked up. So. Yeah. <laughs> And at the end of that, she goes, uh, I believe you should be the one to run it. She goes, but you're nowhere ready. Mm. So you have to transform yourself. I was like, yeah, but if I could just hire more people like me. And she's like, the last thing you want to do is have a bunch of you running around. Right. Like nothing would get done. Like you need to build a complementary team, not that that doesn't support you, but it's self-sustaining. Mm -hmm. And wow. so, we're in what's called a gray-haired in industry. A lot of professional witnesses, folks that retire from university, folks that retire from industry, they hang a shingle out, and they go testify and make good money in court, right? Sure. So we've completely inverted it. We said, well, those are expensive people. None of them are attracted to us because we're just running around chaotically, not knowing what the hell we're doing. But where we can win the day is on uh, hustle, the service. Mm -hmm. So let's guarantee same day service on your rapid response case. So instead of us, and our motto is resolution through engineering. Everything we'll do with a dual meeting on the resolution how can we help you resolve your legal case by providing clarity on what happened so you can decide how to negotiate, what size check to write. So our goal was the opposite of the industry. Our goal is to keep you out of court. And I can't be, because this was the thing, and I had people hang up on me and swear they'd never use this again because I started telling people I'm not taking their cases. Yep. I said, yeah, but this guy we just uh, hired out of college, high energy. They'll be on your scene, same day service. They'll work all night. They've got the got that going. Yeah. And so we started winning the day on showing up. And so our mm -hmm. growth strategy is uh, build organically, hire new uh, folks right out of college within the first one or two years. It's nice to have two years. Like, can find yeah, their way sure. to the coffee pot and not just say stupid right. stuff to the common areas. <laughs> Some of that sometimes can't ever work that out. But anyway, right. uh, and clients have accepted that they call us as a company 
and that they'll be assigned a team and that that team will show up. And then the attorneys can call back to their clients and say, yeah, I've got somebody on the ground Friday night. You cannot worry about it this weekend. And so that solace, they didn't care if it was gray hair or not. Right. They needed somebody on the scene. Yes. And so we've been building it from the ground up organically. And uh, Heath, and I'm so proud, 15 years we did not have one voluntary departure. That was wow. through a startup, that was through the Great Recession of 08, that was through me being a horrible leader and boss for years. Um, you know, we eventually had some attrition, just that happens. Mm. And, uh, and so all these guys started becoming of age, getting their license, getting their credentials, testifying, taking cases, running offices. And yeah. he, Spivey, who is our current president, I heard straight out of North Carolina State. He looked like he's 12 years old. And, uh, and he's great with people. He's okay with numbers, great with people. And so that's why he runs, runs the place now. And he grew up through the system, through all the cold calling during 2008, begging for work and everything else. So that's where we find them. And then we groom them ourselves. We have, uh, you would call it an up and out culture. It says, look, we're in this together for the next four to six years. Everybody wins, everybody makes money. If there aren't openings, uh, or you're not willing to start a new office, like you just want to stay in Charlotte, yeah. and, and we've got a saturated team here, then we'll proactively play, help you find employment with, with our competitor or with anybody. Yeah, yeah. And so even going in, they know that's the career path. And even at that, we've almost always, we haven't ever had to outplace anybody. We always find a spot. So many markers in this that are so similar. Think about this. Hire a consultant, somebody outside the jar. Yep. You got the humility to do that. And you've got the humility to say, where am I, where do I, you know, like, what, what's my best and highest use? Well, that's not, Typical, anything but typical. That's why we get, you're on the podcast. Um, but I think that is just amazing. The other thing is, Joe Foster, founder of Reebok, said one of the, the, the keys for him going up against Nike and everybody else was he ran to white space. Well, that's what you did. You didn't follow the herd, you ran to white space, which was 24 hour responsiveness. It doesn't matter about the gray hair. It matters about fire in the belly. They came with batteries and they're there. Yeah. I got a problem. You're not going to be alone. And by the way, we aren't going to hold make, make you hang, which I think is just amazing. And then clarity on career path, like for people, you're not playing hide the weenie and mystery machine. Hey, you know, come in and we're going to, you know, blow a bunch of smoke up your nose and hope that we pacify your dreams and just in the bowels of the ship row. Like you're treating people with dignity and respect and clarity. Like if you're listening to this, it's like there's some real big nuggets here. Right. You know? yep. If you're ferreting them out, and they're pretty apparent, I think. So um, yeah, it's the, the bison versus the buffalo. When a storm's coming in, the buffalo run away from the storm and the storm ends up going over them, and they oh, get hit. Bison run towards the storm, so they get through the through. storm quicker on the other side. 
your whole industry is running one way and you go the other way and figure out a better way to do it. Oh, that's a good and, and to differentiate yourself. So what's happened is as these folks have been coming of age uh, and we've become a more mature organization uh, and professional staff, uh, talent across our industry is calling us unsolicited. Uh, like, mm. like lateral type moves, the yep, guys sure. that have been around. And, uh, and that's just been a big magnet at this point. Because yeah. all we do is the accident reconstruction and our competitors are multidisciplinary firms, international firms. Yeah. It's the Reebok and the Nike right. comparison. And I have people ask, because we, um, we're the go-to firm for UPS in a variety of areas, just by demonstration. And they're like, how does that work? And I said, you know, when we talk to UPS, like you're known for one thing, right? Delivering freight. We're known for one thing. Guess what we're talking about around the water cooler? How we can help you deliver freight by reconstructing your cases, improving your safety systems, getting your truck back on the road, and you making decisions on how to avoid liability and avoid trial. Like our example we give to them in the brown vans you see now in the neighborhoods, they've got the little jump seat that yeah. folds down. Yeah. It's like, we're the ones in the jump seat. Or you can hire the yeah. big box store where 10% of the revenue has to do with your line of work. And that's, that was the comparison to us. And I got a bunch of grief about being too narrow when I started Delta V. They were like, no, you got to throw out a big net, you're going to starve. And I was like, I want to be the Starbucks of the industry. You know you're going to pay a lot for a premium cup of coffee, and it's going to be premium every single time, but you're not going to get a bad piece of food. or It's not trying to be too much. Yep. And so that's why we said, so this is it, staking it out, and that's what has attracted clients in 49 states and five countries. I mean, we've been all, all over the place. You hit a, uh, when I was running my first agency, when I was like your age, younger than you, I didn't know what I was doing either. Um, but we read a book, I read a book called Positioning Battle for Your Mind uh, by Trout and Rice out of Atlanta. And it was so good and I made all of our team read it and I made all of our clients read it. And the, the essence is this, it's like Venturi tube, narrow. Mm -hmm. Narrow your focus because the Venturi tube accelerates in the narrow part. And that's exactly what happens, but the premise of the book is our minds have ladders of categories and there are only three, three rungs on the ladder. And, and they, back in the day, they would say, you know, say cold medicine, contact was the hands down you know, nobody was even close, but there were three rungs already taken care of. Like, so NyQuil created a whole new category, new ladder, the yeah, nighttime cold medicine. Right, right. But you did the same thing. Like, you have this innate marketing sense, whether you know it or not, like positioning, you get it. So did Joe Foster. Mm -hmm. Like, that was just, and not everybody has that gift, but, and I think it, it, it is required when you have to, when you're running against the grain and everybody else is running this way and you're like no I think I'm gonna go this way <laughs> wow so I just think 
another just like amazing nugget. So I want to go to something that I learned about from actually your video of, <laughs> hey, you got your bike and you got your cool bike shades and all of a sudden you're talking about your bike rack. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was a pivot moment for your company and for you. Yeah. That's the first LinkedIn video I ever did. Talking about nervous. Really? <laughs> yeah, that was the whole LinkedIn videos thing is was uh that was a tough tough barrier for me to get over. That was the first one. So yeah, I uh, do triathlon training intermittently. I'm not as loyal as you yeah. are on the fitness side of things. And I was down on the greenway, hit a wet spot, wiped out, uh, broke my clavicle, clean in two, uh, broke and cracked six ribs and punctured my lung. And this was uh, in la last year, or I'm sorry, uh, about a year and a half ago, less than two years ago. And that was a bad situation. I couldn't get in surgery, do some logistical things for about uh, six weeks. Wow. So I was laid up. And I got a cold during then. I was coughing and sneezing. Oh. Like my whole body was coming apart. Yeah. And yeah, I was laid up. I have an executive team in place. It was um, Dave Mataluna and Kristen King were on the executive team. And Heath was being. Uh, and I had been in conversation with Heath since 2017 about coming in as president. So that was uh, in the works. And the team's like, man, we got this. You've, you've, we've built this. Like, we don't need you anymore, which is, is the tough, tough thing here, actually. And so I was, two things happened. One, I was able to recover. And then it gave me a reason not to meddle. <laughs> and they already had it in them. It just was a trigger for them to just really step up. We kept growing. Things were going amazing. It was better without me, which hurt my feelings. Sure. And it was, okay, when this, when this is all uh, in the next season of life for me and Delta V, this is what it looks like. And it looks better than what it is which was back to day one, outgrow and outlast, uh, outlast me. And so I was watching that live out uh, with an ice pack on my shoulder. Yeah, no kidding. The, the thing I, wa I wanna go in the direction of off of that, I mean, there's 10, but I'll choose, <laughs> I'll choose one. Um, you talk all the time and you say, uh, I think it's I do really talk the, all the time. <laughs> yeah, period. <laughs> that's it. No. Um, no, the slogan of you enjoy creating opportunities for people to thrive. And I want to dive deeper into that, but I'm also curious of how long has that been your mentality and how much was this a catalyst for you were forced to step back yeah. and let these other people have space and, and be in a position where they are thriving. So how much of that was your mentality before of trying to build people up versus after that accident of almost being forced into having to step away? Well, so, I mean, it's 18 years right. of investing in people mm -hmm. uh, to, quote, step away. Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't, oh, oh uh, you're I boogered up my switch. shoulder, now I need to start patching up people, right? Yeah. So um, I didn't have a lot to offer as a young company. 
But what I could offer at low check writing cost was uh, training and development. Everything from technical skills to what little professional skills in terms of just how to, well I was always, I actually was always good with uh, handling clients, so mm -hmm. teaching those things. So even when we were in the recession, I gave everybody side projects and they would have to present to the team, which was nine people at the time, we were small, in an area that they wanted to develop. And then we would do SMART goals and all that stuff. So this stuff is for free. Like I'm not hiring people to come in or yeah, doing all this yeah. stuff. And so I would say, look, I can pay you this much and then I promise you the day you leave or all passing through, you'll look back and say you were better off passing through here than you, than you weren't. Yep. And you made some money and you learned some skills and any way I can do that, I wanna do that. It, you know, it's taken 30 years to write that single sentence legitimately because yeah, yeah. I struggled with, well, am I a teacher, am I a coach, am I an investor, am I a business person, am I, whatever. And so I'm a mission statement fanatic and I only write mission statements that can be you that people remember and can be used in conversation. Otherwise, yeah, it's a, to yeah. me, it's a waste of time. Yeah. And so it took years to land on entrepreneur. There's some things about it I don't, as the best descriptor. And then it's like, what do I do? And I create, I enjoy creating stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm not a builder, I'm not an architect, mm -hmm. I create. And what is it that I'm creating? It's opportunities. And so when you have people like Dave, Kristen, Heath, Tim, I could name so many people there, and you say, look, here's the opportunity, batteries included, step into this. Yeah. And you, you help shape what that is. Let's co-create this, because I don't want to even limit you on what I think the training or the coaching is. Mm -hmm. And what I have found is people come in and go, that's a great start, but it really should be, it should look a little more like this. And make them, oh, I didn't even think about it that way. Yeah. And so that's why creating an opportunity, yeah. people step into it and thrive. And there's been times I've said, here's an opportunity. And I had to get out of saying, I gave you an opportunity. Because mm. that's, yeah. to me, not proper. Uh, and I've had people step in on to learn that's not the opportunity they should be in. But in their skill set, it wasn't their lane. It was the next step on a career path. Yeah. But that wasn't the path they should have been on. Yeah. I had a guy, super seasoned, unbelievable talent, nationally known, um, stepped into an opportunity and said, you know what? I like working cases. Yeah. That's, that's my jam. And I said, all right, let's, let's, let's shake this together and he just very emotional about it if it was like a relief yeah and he stepped he's you know just kicking butt uh doing his thing but it's it's a co-creation process that's how i came to that perfect i'm not a spreadsheet guy even though i have a master's degree in engineering right. i'm not the guy <laughs> sitting around tracking the market and checking investments and stuff mm -hmm. i am very much relationally driven, uh, but I'm not the speaker, author, coach combination right. either.
Yeah, but over the years you've figured out this is what I do and you've boiled it down to that, that one sentence, your mission statement. That's it, and it's so funny because apparently I say it a lot. Bree, who's in the room, our creative director at Redline, uh, God, just three days ago, we were saying something. She goes, that's right, because you're known for creating opportunities for people to thrive. <laughs> it's, it, it was serious and kind of yeah. uh, lighthearted, but the fact she even remembered it, yeah. to me it's like, wow, okay. That's, yeah. that's not just uh, jingoism's stickiness. Right. It's like, oh, that's, I get it. There's authenticity. That's what you're about. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. 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 it's kind of like, she knows my name. You're Brian. Right, right. And this is how you roll. Yep. So. Who you are and what you do. Yeah. So I don't think we covered half of the questions that we wanted to talk about, but this has been. because I talk a lot. Yeah. No, we just. Your we, Gary and I go down rabbit holes. Yeah, we do. We, we love it. <laughs> um, but I really appreciate you coming on and sharing this. It's been an unbelievable conversation. The listeners are going to be able to take so many nuggets away. So I want to want to give you a, a chance at the end for two things. One. Where can people find you and follow you? And then second part, do you have any final parting thoughts that you want to share? I always have fi uh, <laughs> final thoughts. All right, so the best place to find me, I feel like I should be now talking to a microphone, the audience. You are, the microphones the, are just all around you. The best place, <laughs> the best place to uh, connect with me and companies that I'm involved in is on my LinkedIn. So go to Brian, B-R-I-A-N, dash K, letter K, dash Anders, A-N-D-E-R-S. Is that good from your commercial days? Like oh, that's really good. Spelling it out? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's really so, good. Brian and dash in the K show notes, we'll put, we'll put the link to that also, yeah. and in our post, we'll link it straight there too, so people can find you. Yeah, so I'm easy to find. So, a um, couple things, parting words. Uh, I had a suspicion you'd ask me that. Just have the courage to have the courage to suck. I mean, just have the courage to try stuff. <laughs> know it's going to feel really awkward. Uh, try to get through the valley uh, in hopes that there's higher terrain. And it's, man, it just is so scary to do that. The second is everything, and you and I talked about this lunch at lunch, trust in the law of general reciprocity. Just give, mm -hmm. contribute. Think about how can I earn, uh, how can I contribute uh, to the people around me? And that doesn't mean be beholden to people and poor mouth around, but how, how can I contribute? How can I have a positive impact on somebody? Yeah. And then last but not least, man, engage with just amazing people. It's, have a community, everything from consultants to Jan, I mean, when I look around the room here with the creative team from Redline and Jan sitting across the room and Kristen sitting off in the background, I'm getting to know you. I mean, it's just, uh, it's just uh, barely, I mean, it's just so moving. I don't know you as well, but the thing that gives you the edge is you have a pretty good hair. <laughs> so I'm trying to replicate thing, you. The so thing that is most important to me is that my eulogy, I'd like for you to give it, and I'd like for you to say, if nothing else, that guy had the best hair on our audio-only podcast. But you know what makes hair look good? Even just better what I got hair. I think I got, from my perspective, from just the, having hair. From the man of props, 
I'll show you the oh. one thing that'll level up my hair. Oh, dude, the do-rag. <laughs> that is so good. Yeah, I love it. That's so good. I want to be on one of your fitness videos. Well, we're coming up with 9-11, uh, <laughs> which is where I got my American flag do-rags. So All right, let's see if I can get it tied. This is the thing I should have practiced off camera, right? <laughs> But, but you there the you blue. go. And I have, I don't quite have the guns. <laughs> That's pretty good. I like so, it. <laughs> I figured you appreciate this. Yeah. <laughs> You're so funny. Man, this has been fun. Yeah. It's always fun with you, man. It is. It is. And having guests like you on just makes it all worthwhile. So thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. My first time ever as a guest on a podcast. Really? So, yep. I've been deposed and testified as an expert nearly 90 times, and I was just as nervous being a guest here as... Walking into trial. We're a little easier than attorneys a little. in a courtroom. <laughs> and I haven't worn a bandana in trial yet. So <laughs> Not yet. I have to pull that off. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you, Thank buddy. You.